So I'm going to start with a little bit of behind the scenes of sermon preparation. Initially, I've been really enjoying our Elijah sermon series and thought that we would just carry on and continue to look at Elisha. And as I started to prepare for that, I noticed uh, two very important things. First of all, Elijah covers about eight chapters, six at the end of 1 Kings and the first two at 2 Kings. But the story of Elisha picks up from there and goes all the way through chapter 13 of 2 Kings. And it was just way too much material. We'd be preaching on Elisha until the end of this year or and, and mostly halfway into next year. And the, the stories were long too. And, and beyond that, the second thing I noticed is as I thought about, well, what would I preach on from each one of these texts? I realized I'd be saying a lot of the same things over and over again. And so what, instead of looking at Elisha, what we're going to do this morning is we're just going to look at chapter 4 of 2 Kings and read the entire chapter. And in many ways, chapter 4, I believe, becomes emblematic of much of what Elisha did and proclaimed and much of what I would be saying repetitively uh, throughout the series. So we're going to end our series this morning by looking at 2 Kings chapter 4, all 44 verses. You can find it on the screen or follow along in your pew Bible starting on page 364. Now, the wife of one of the sons of the prophets cried to Elisha, Your servant, my husband, is dead, and you know that your servant feared the Lord, but the creditor has come to take my two children to be his slaves. And Elisha said to her, What shall I do for you? Tell me, what have you in the house? And she said, Your servant has nothing in the house except a jar of oil. Then he said, Go outside, borrow vessels from all your neighbors, empty vessels and not too few. Then go in and shut the door behind yourself and your sons and the poor, uh, yourself and their sons, and pour into all those vessels. And when one is full, set it aside. So she went from him and shut the door behind herself and her sons, and she poured. They brought, they brought the vessels to her. When the vessels were full, she said to her sons, Bring me another vessel. And he said to her, There is not another. Then the oil stopped flowing. She came and told the man of God, and he said, Go, sell the oil and pay your debts, and you and your sons can live on the rest. One day Elisha went to, on to Shunem, where a wealthy woman lived, who urged him to eat some food. So whenever he passed that way, he would turn in to there to eat food. And she said to her husband, Behold, I know that this is a holy man of God who is continually passing our way. Let us make a small room on the roof with walls and put there for him a bed, a table, a chair, and a lamp so that whenever he comes to us, he can go in there. One day he came there and he turned into the chamber and rested there. And he said to Gehazi, his servant, call this Shunammite. When he had called her, she stood before him. And he said to him, say now to her, see, you have taken all this trouble for us. What is it to be done for you? Would you have a word spoken on your behalf to the king or to the commander of the army? She answered, I dwell among my own people. And he said, What then is to be done for her? Gehazi answered, Well, she has no son and her husband is old. He said, Call her. And when he called her, she stood in the doorway and he said, 
at this season, about this time next year, you shall embrace a son. And she said, no, my Lord, oh my God, do not lie to your servant. But the woman conceived, and she bore a son about that time, the following spring, as Elisha had said to her. When the children had grown, he went out one day to his father among the reapers. And he said to his father, oh, my head, my head. The father said to her servant, carry him into his mother. And when he had lifted him and brought him to his mother, the child sat on her lap till noon. And then he died. And she went up and laid him on the bed of the man of God and shut the door behind him and went out. Then she called to her husband and said, Send me one of the servants and one of the donkeys, that I may quickly go to the man of God and come back again. And he said, Why will you go to him today? It is neither new moon nor Sabbath. She said, All is well. Then she saddled the donkey, and she said to her servant, Urge the animal on. Do not slacken the pace for me unless I tell you. So she set out and came to the man of God at the Mount Carmel. When the man of God saw her coming, he said to Gehazi, his servant, Look, there is the Shunammite. Run at once to meet her and say to her, Is all well with you? Is all well with your husband? Is all well with the child? And she answered, All is well. And when she came to the mountain to the man of God, she caught hold of his feet. And Gehazi came to push her away. But the man of God said, Leave her alone, for she is in bitter distress. And the Lord has hidden it from me and has not told me. Then she said, did I ask my Lord for a son? Did I not say, do not deceive me? He said to Gehazi, tie up your garment and take my staff in your hand and go. If you meet anyone, do not meet, greet him. And if anyone greets you, do not reply and lay my staff on the face of the child. Then the mother of the child said, as the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So he arose and followed her. Gehazi went on ahead and laid the staff on the face of the child, but there was no sound or sign of life. Therefore he returned and met him and told him, The child is not awakened. When Elisha came into the house, he saw the child lying dead on his bed. So he went in and shut the door behind the two of them and prayed to the Lord. Then he went up and lay on the child, putting his mouth on his mouth, his eyes on his eyes, and his hands on his hands. And as he stretched himself upon him, the flesh of the child became warm. Then he got up again and walked once back and forth in the house and went up and stretched himself upon him. The child sneezed seven times and the child opened his eyes. Then he summoned Gehazi and said, call this Shunammite. So he called her. And when she came to him, she said, pick up your son. She came and fell at his feet, bowing to the ground. Then she picked up her son and went out. And Elisha came again to Gilgal when there was a famine in the land. And as the sons of the prophets were sitting before him, he said to his servant, Set up on the large pot and boil stew for the sons of the prophets. One of them went out into the field and gathered herbs and found a wild vine and gathered from it, it, it his, lap, his lap full of wild gourds and came out and cut them up into pot of stew, not knowing what they were. And they poured out some of the meat to eat, but while they were eating of the stew, they cried out, O man of God, there is death in the pot. And they could not eat it. He said, Then bring flour. And he threw it into the pot and said, Pour some out for the men that they may eat. And there was no harm in the pot. 
A man came from Beth Shalisha, bringing the man of God bread of the first fruits, 20 loaves of barley and fresh ears of grain in his sack. And Elisha said, give to the men that they may eat. But his servant said, how can I set this before a hundred men? So he repeated, give them to the men that they may eat. For thus says the Lord, they shall eat and have some left. So he set it before them and they ate and had some left according to the word of the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Throughout this sermon series, I've entitled it, In Need of a Prophet. And as we've been looking at Elijah, it was abundantly clear that under the wicked reign of King Ahab, it was a time and a place where a prophet was desperately needed. Someone who would confront the leaders of the nation with their sin. He would call that whole nation back to a right relationship with God and encourage them to walk and to be the people that God had called them to be. And I chose that as a theme because in many ways throughout, we paralleled those circumstances to our own. Recognizing that in our world, in our culture, in our church, and even in our own lives, we at times need to be confronted with the sins that we are experiencing. Being called back into a right relationship and a right walk with God. And it was abundantly clear that this is exactly what Elijah had done for his people. But the whole point of last week's message was, now that Elijah has ascended to heaven, what is going to happen? Was God done confronting and leading his people how and who would stand forth and carry on this work? And we saw last week how Elisha had been literally given the mantle of Elijah to carry on this ministry. And that idea just gets reinforced and reiterated in our text from chapter 4. And in fact, that's the first point that I want to highlight this morning. One of those major themes that would have been recognized over and over again in the life of Elisha. And that is, it is impossible to read the stories of the work of Elisha and not hear echoes of this exact similar and same work that Elijah had done. We saw a taste of that a little bit last week when after Elijah had struck the Jordan River and walked over with Elisha on dry ground, Elisha did the exact same thing on his way back across the Jordan River. But just as a reminder, that pattern continues in our text. And, and the reminder is, when we look back to 1 Kings 17, right after we met Elijah and he confronted Ahab, he was then sent off into hiding. And he was sent to the nation of Zarephath where he met, or, or, or the city of Zarephath outside of Israel where he met a widow. And he asked her to feed him the last of her flour and oil. And then when, he, when she did, that Z uh, widow of Zarephath was blessed. The flour and oil that she had continued to miraculously reproduce itself, never running out so that Elijah, her and her son could be fed. And then when her son died, Elijah went into him, laid on top of him and brought him back to life. Well, that's exactly what we see happening in these first two stories of chapter four of second Kings. 
Elisha goes to a widow who has almost nothing except some oil, but that oil is miraculously preserved to meet the financial needs of this widow. We have another instance where there is a son of someone who had been kind to the prophet and dies. And then he lays himself on the child to raise them from the dead. And this kind of miraculous action that mirror very closely the things that had been done by Elijah, it is abundantly clear that Elisha is continuing the work that Elijah had begun. And without overstating the point from last week, it's very clear that God had not abandoned his people. That his blessing in this ministry, this work of the prophet and the miracles that he would perform had not stopped with just the person of Elijah, but the spirit of God, which is what empowered Elijah, carried on with Elisha. And his ministry not only carried on what Elijah started, but it builds on it, it echoes it, and it expands it, continuing and doing even more miracles. It's a wonderful reminder that God's work is not contained in a particular person or a particular time, but God will raise up his prophets to continue to be a presence in his people, faithful to his promises. Another point that would continually jump out at you as you read through the life of Elijah is related to that. Not only does it remind us and, and, and reinforce much of the same things that we saw Elijah doing, but you also can't read the stories of Elisha without also seeing a foreshadowing of the coming work of Jesus Christ. So again, if we look at some of the stories of chapter 4, we see some very clear parallels to what Jesus would one day do. So we said Elijah raised the widow of the son of Zarephath, or he raised the son of the widow of Zarephath. Elisha raises the Shunammite widow's uh, I'm sorry, the Shunammite woman's son. And Jesus did the very same thing as well. This city of Shunem is actually a city that existed on the south, in the land of Issachar, or the region of Issachar, on the south side of the hill of Moreh. Well, if you fast forward a couple hundred years, on the north side of that very same hill of Moreh, there was a city called Nain. And hear this account of something that took place from Luke 7, 11 through 16, about what Jesus did in that town of Nain. It says, soon afterwards, he went, Jesus, went to a town called Nain. And his disciples and a great crowd went with him. As he drew near to the gate of the town, behold, a man who had died was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. And a considerable crowd from the town was with her. And when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her and said to her, do not weep. Then he came up and touched the buyer and the bearers stood still. And he said, young man, I say to you, arise. And the dead man sat up and began to speak. And Jesus gave him to his mother. Fear seized them all, and they glorified God, saying, A great prophet has risen among us, and God has visited his people. And if that example isn't clear enough, we see Jesus doing similar things to the son of the centurion, to Jairus' daughter. And again, over and over again, Jesus, like Elijah and Elisha, brings life where there had been death. 
And that thought is extended to the other miracles at the end of 2 Kings 4. Again, I don't think you can hear that last story of just 20 loaves of bread. And again, remembering at that time that a loaf of bread was enough for uh, one person for one meal, maybe the size of like a granola bar, not a, a big loaf that we would think of. But he only had 20 and there was 100 people that needed to be fed. There was no way it was enough food. But it did. God provided that it was enough food, that they had food left over. And again, you cannot hear that story without looking forward to the work of Jesus. When he stood in front of a crowd of 5,000 and another time in front of a crowd of 4,000 and with very little food, it was multiplied to the point that all were fed and yet there was still leftovers available. And again, the point is that what we saw in Elijah, we see in Elisha, which only gets amplified and continued and, and expanded all the more when Jesus comes to this earth, demonstrating that Jesus was the ultimate fulfillment of what a prophet that was needed. And Jesus both reflects but multiplies the work of his prophets that had gone before him. His is the presence of God on this earth, the fullest possible in the fullest possible sense but in recognizing those two things it leads to me to the main point that i want to highlight from these stories this morning when we say that this was a time and a place where a prophet was needed we see the prophet bringing the presence the word of god to affect the lives of his people but connected to that question is well, if a prophet is needed, what does a prophet do? What should the prophet be about in his, his daily life? And what kind of things should he be giving his time and his attention and his efforts toward? And I'm not sure these are the kinds of things that you would imagine a prophet would be doing from the very get-go. For example, we saw with Elijah times where he played a role in military battles and victories, making pronouncements and promises and bringing the presence of the Lord to help defeat the enemies of the nation of the Israelites. We saw him interacting with kings and rulers and being involved in their rising and their falling. And if we keep going with the story of Elisha, we'll see very much stories of him doing the very same thing. And, and Jesus also, at times, had opportunity to speak with and con confront those that had political power of his day. And in a wicked world looking for the presence of God, I think that's what we would often want or what we would think a prophet should be doing. He should be there in the halls of power, preaching and proclaiming and correcting and calling them back to the Lord. But that's not what we see in these stories. And it's not what we most often see in the work of all of the prophets of the Lord. When cultures become corrupted and leaders don't lead well, that ends up affecting the actual lives of real people. And in these stories, we see that the main work of the prophet was to bring the hope and the power of the Lord in order to bless these individual people in their particular sufferings and need. The poor widow at the start of chapter 4 
is never named, completely anonymous. There is a tradition that identifies her as being the widow of the prophet Uriah that we had met, I'm sorry, the prophet Obadiah that we had met earlier in uh, 1 Kings 18, who had kept a hundred prophets alive. And, and many think that that's why this woman bears such a heavy debt. But regardless of whether or not that is her, she is in debt, and her sons are going to be put into slavery. And here, God quietly blesses her, paying the debt that she could never pay on her own, effectively freeing her sons from slavery. The Shunammite, another person completely unnamed, is much more financially comfortable. She's doing just fine in her life, but she has no son. She is barren. But again, unlike the sons born to other barren women that we see in the Bible, uh, sons like Isaac or Joseph, Samuel, or John the Baptist, this son doesn't grow up to change the face of the nation. Again, he too is completely anonymous. And nevertheless, the prophet brings life. He brings hope to this barren woman. When a man makes a mistake in gathering food for a, a, a stew to be eaten, spoiling precious food during a time of famine, Elisha redeems his work and he allows those to, to have the poison removed and be able to eat this meal and sustain them for another day. When there's not enough for all to eat one meal, the prophet multiplies that food so that all could be fed. But notice, in all of these stories, we're not in the halls of power with the political leaders. We're not trying to change culture and, and giving great speeches. In all of these stories, the prophet is just there, making himself available to the needs of these unnamed and yet hurting people because of the consequences of sin in the world. It's what Elijah has done and it was certainly what Jesus did after him, which is why so very often those in his day overlooked him as the Messiah that he was. Jesus, the greatest of all prophets, he didn't come first and foremost to confront the political leaders of the day. He came to pay the debt that we never could pay. He came to set us free from slavery. He came to bring life where there was death. He came to redeem our lives and our work and to provide for our daily bread. And he came to give us the most fundamental and important need of our life. Of being reconciled to our God. And with all other prophets, he clearly had a heart for the most vulnerable in society. And I think that's an important lesson to not only draw from the life and ministry of Elijah and Elisha. But from Christ as well. When we look at our world and we say, we need a prophet. Our world is full of corruption and struggle and problems. Our church is facing heresy and trials and internal conflict. And we, in our own lives, are bearing the consequences of our sins and the struggles of our society. The question is, well, what are we supposed to do about that? 
And the temptation is to think we've got to go to the halls of politics. We've got to write, vote for the right people. We've got to have the laws change. And we've got to do something grand to change our culture. But I'm not sure that that's what God's calling from us. As the prophets who are now invited to walk in his footsteps. And as we Christians look at what Christ has done for us. And we hear the call to go and be his light and his salt in a world that needs his presence. How can we be prophets? I think we have examples of that. I know many of you attended either the Modesto Pregnancy Gala or the Modesto Gospel Mission Gala this week or, or maybe both. And in both of those circumstances, you saw organizations of people that said, there's a need in our culture. A brokenness because of poverty and addiction and drug abuse and, and it's ruining lives. There's a problem with people that make sinful choices and then find themselves with pregnancies that they don't want. And abortion is a wickedness. What do we do about this? And their answer isn't first and foremost to raise money and to vote. It's to look at the needy person affected by those choices and to walk with them in those choices. And when they make themselves available, the stories we heard at those galas was God shows up and does miraculous things. And if we recognize it in those instances and in the instances of the Old Testament, the answer is we need it all the more. Yes, we're frustrated with inflation and the choices that were made that led to the rising of prices and, and the difficulty that, that our regular goods are and the amount of money that we have to spend on that. But for the vast majority of us, it's just in the cost that we absorb and keep moving forward. But for so many in our world, that becomes the difference between whether they're going to make it or not. And instead of worrying about, uh, you know, how is we going to change the political leaders? The question is, are, are your eyes open to those who are teetering in society? And what do we have that we can offer to help keep them afloat and from getting swamped under from their debt? Yes. As I've said before, we should be concerned and have issues with the promotion and the highlight and, and the, the celebration of LGBTQ plus issues in our culture. But at the very same time, we have to recognize that for those that are same-sex attracted, they want to, that, that do want to follow God's word, they fear that doing so will condemn them to a life long loneliness and, and isolation that they don't know if they can bear and are your eyes open to those individuals where we can walk alongside them and bring them fellowship and company and support and the community that they crave but wonder if they will ever have yes Immigration is a major issue in our culture, and it's sad when both sides of the political parties use these individuals as pawns in order to make political points. 
But are your eyes open to the immigrants that are in our community? And as we look back and celebrate those of our ancestry that came to this country in order to make a better life, are our eyes open and our abilities to say, how can we help this? you walk through this, this complicated system so that you can actually navigate it rather than get consumed by it? And those are just a few examples of, I think, of ways that our eyes should be open to the needs that are in our culture and in our world where we can be prophets. Because again, if you're going to say that in this broken and hurtful world, a prophet is needed to bring the voice and the presence to God, the question is, what does that look like? And not only in 2 Kings chapter 4, but throughout his ministry, what Elisha does is make himself available to the needs that are near him. Recognizing the desperate widow, the well-off but broken-hearted woman who doesn't have a child, the grieving woman who loses that child, the person who made a mistake at work and needs it redeemed, and then those that are hungry and need food for their daily provision. And in those, he brings the presence of God, if only for a moment, to move those people along. Church of Christ, those opportunities are all around us in this very day. And if our world is broken, may we have not only our eyes to recognize those needs, but may we open ourselves through the power of the Holy Spirit to make our gifts, ourselves, our time available to help address those needs. And I promise you over and over again that when you do that in the name of your Savior, Jesus Christ, he's going to show up and he's going to do great things. Yes, our culture needs prophets, but that means it needs you. Not in big grand ways, but to meet those little needs that can make a big impact. Let's have a word of prayer. Lord God and Heavenly Father, our world is broken. It is hurting. It is going in the wrong direction in many ways, but in that, it's creating all kinds of damage to individual lives, and there are people all around us that are hurting. Lord, may we recognize that hurt just like Elisha recognized it and as you recognized it. And may we be those that, like you, eat with sinners that are present to those who are hurting and diseased and impoverished. And may we walk with them and bring the hope that only you can bring to their lives. Maybe just blessing them for a little moment or for another meal or for carrying on a little bit further, but in your name. And when we make ourselves available, O oh Lord, I pray that you would show up in mighty ways. Continue to bless those who are doing that work. May they see many glimpses of your hand faithfully responding to their offers and their efforts. And may more and more we be the people who are prophets in this land, bringing your word of hope and healing and life and redemption to a world and to individuals who so desperately need to hear it. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.